the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now, nine minutes past 10 o'clock, and we roll on. It is the uh, ninth morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord 2021. Appreciate you being with us. Thanks again to Kenny Shu. Really, really thought-provoking stuff last half hour. Don't forget, coming up at 1035, we're going to talk to Bonnie Snyder as well about indoctrination, the exact opposite of what is being done in our schools right now, which, of course, is indoctrination and what we can do to indoctrinate our kids. So that's coming up at 1035. But for now, let's welcome in our regular Thursday commentator at this time. He is one of the very best in the business. Uh, no, I mean that very seriously, Dr. Piper. I, I, I get so many compliments on having you on. Uh, as a great conservative commentator. Dr. Everett Piper is uh, uh, a former university president. He is a weekly columnist for the Washington Times. He is a best-selling author, and uh, he's also a podcast. Two things now in his native Oklahoma, a podcaster uh, and radio host, as well as a political candidate now uh, looking for a seat on his county's board of commissioners. Dr. Piper, welcome back. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me on, Bob. Hey, by the way, before we get into today's show, as yeah. I listen to the Reagan introduction to this mm-hmm. segment that you play every week, mm-hmm. um, don't you yearn for the days for that confidence and that courage and that conviction? Can you imagine Ronald Reagan saying anything close to the ineptitude and the compromising pablum of Joe Biden and his administration? The, the contrast is just so stark and clear. Over the days of well, the that, Churchillian that's, leadership of Ronald Reagan. 
Yeah, that that's the reason I play it, Dr. Piper, and I have been for a few years now uh, at the top of each hour of this broadcast because I do, I get, I draw inspiration from it, and yes, I also draw the, you know, comparisons and the contrast of the modern day leadership. And even, even among, you know, Republican leaders, um, there's, there's nobody, there's a reason why he was called the great communicator. There was nobody who did it quite as well. Uh, his ability to, uh, you know, to, to orate and, and the wisdom behind his oration. It wasn't just empty words is what, I think is so inspirational, and it's uh, what reminds a lot of us to uh, to hold fast and to continue to yearn for uh, you know for the for those days again. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in before we get rolling today. I'm glad you did. I, I there are times where I've come on the air at the top of the hour, top of the show rather, and I'll play that and I'll come in and then I'll just stop and I'll just kind of riff a little bit about what we just heard uh, from that, and that of course is from his first inaugural speech uh, in uh, 1981, January 20th, 1981, and we'll just riff on it and talk about how we miss it. So what you just did is very commonplace. I've done it myself numerous times, just uh, listening to those words and being inspired by them. So, okay, uh, I was inspired by. Some of what I read from you, by the way, in the Washington Times, two columns this week, not one. And I want to spend a little bit of time on both of them. And I mentioned to you, uh, our candidate now for office in your county, you are uh, looking to be a county commissioner. And so I want to start there, and I want to talk about one of your political opponents. I believe you told me, a fellow Republican, so this is a primary situation, I guess, who has referred to you as a right-wing religious nut a Christian conservative Republican, rather than being called Christian conservative Republican, is called right-wing religious nut. Your response in your uh, in your column space in the Washington Times, I thought, spoke for itself. Now you speak for it and tell people what, uh, what your response is. Well, this is a commentary on the complete disaster of the Republican Party right now. I'm in a primary competition for county commissioner of Osage County in, in, in Oklahoma. Now, why am I doing that? Because I believe in local control and local respect. I believe that people should be left alone. And if I can do anything to further that cause as county commissioner, I'm going to do it. The sheriff of Osage County actually called me up and said, I want a conservative Christian to serve in this role. That's not what we have right now. And I'd like you to consider running. So I guess I was stupid enough to raise my hand and say, okay, I'll do that. So here I am, and I'm out there being Everett Piper, saying what I say on your show every week. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm not going to apologize for who I am. I'm not going to apologize for being a, uh, a constitutionalist. I'm not going to apologize for being a conservative, some who, someone who believes in conserving the time-tested truths of God, I'm not going to apologize for believing in objective reality, that a, that a woman is real, she's not a fabrication. I'm not going to apologize for thinking that our children should be protected and not be peddled kitty porn in our schools every day. In other words, I'm voicing the views of a conservative, thoughtful, constitutionalist, and Christian. I'm basically espousing the same views that Ronald Reagan held, and as you know in my article, I'm pointing out that several other individuals in the history of the United States have held the same uh, same views, such as Abraham Lincoln. Our government is of the people, by the people, and for the people. How about Alexander Hamilton, who said an unjust authority bears no obligation to obedience? How about believing that our republic is anchored in the premise of self-evident truths that are endowed to us by our Creator, 
and not given to us by government or made up by you or me. How about believing that God defines life and that you don't, and that marriage is a sacrament of the church and not the business of the state, and that a female is a biological fact and not the fabrication of a dysphoric male? How about all of these things? How about maybe judging people by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin? And anybody who's read for five seconds recognizes that everything I just said in my last two-minute riff is, is quoting people like Governor Morris, people like Abraham Lincoln, Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Jay, Ad- <laughs> Jay Adams. I'm quoting our founding, excuse me, our founding fathers. And I close my article by saying, if I'm keeping company, Mom always told me, that you're known by the company you keep. And if I'm keeping company with the likes of Ronald Reagan and all of these other seminal leaders in the history of our nation, then I guess I guess I am a right-wing religious wingnut. Guilty as charged. So here's the question, Dr. Piper, is why would your opponent in this uh, Republican primary take the, the approach that he is? And, and, um, and, and I'm wondering if it's you know has to do with the general overall move... Actually, maybe it's one of two things. Is it the movement of the Republican Party away from Christianity, away from you know biblical teachings and mindset, away from constitutionalism and so forth? Is it the party moving away? Or do you think that there is something with the, um, the shrinking of the church in the United yeah. States of America that might lead Republicans to say, if I go out there and preach... Uh, and, and, and not preach uh, uh, literally, but, but if I go out there and if I, if I offer my, uh, you know, plans as a political candidate to be biblical based, to be Christianity based, I'm alienating too many voters because the Christian church is shrinking and maybe I don't want to align myself with it as much as this guy over here is. I'll paint him as the nut because it's more keeping with the, you know, 2021 values. Well, I think you're spot on. I've said on your show before, and I'm going to repeat it again in answer to your question. I believe there are three entities in every culture that are responsible for propagating the ideas that our progeny, those that follow us, are going to embrace and going to hold and going to believe in. And those three entities are pastors, parents, and teachers. And the first one is what you just referred to. When the pastors and the priests have let down their guard, when they've compromised the gospel, when they've compromised the evangel, the good news of Christ, when they've compromised the self-evident truths that are revealed to us in Scripture and not made up by us in government or in, uh, in our courts, or even in our social dialogue with one another, when you diminish and degrade truth to being nothing but a lowercase t rather than an uppercase t, when truth becomes a construct rather than an objective reality, whether it be from the pulpit or the podium, from the pastor, the priest, or the professor, or the parent, when these entities let down their responsibility, give up their responsibility to perpetuate truth as their primary obligation to their children, to their progeny, we're going to have a culture that no longer has any moral compass. And we can say the Republicans believe everything I just said. No, they don't. I live in the reddest of red states, and I have a Republican calling me a right-wing religious wingnut for saying everything I just said to you, nothing more or nothing less. Well, bring it on is my attitude. If you want to debate that one, 
bring it on. I'm not going to walk away from that storm. I'm going to walk into it. And if you think you're going to beat me in that particular debate, whether it be on the phone, in front of a camera, behind a microphone, or even in writing, bring it on. That's a battle I'm willing to fight. Dr. Everett Piper is ready to fight, and you should be, because I think that's spot on. And uh, what they are trying to do in our party, uh, you know, and I, I call myself a Republican reluctantly. I pretty much stay uh, registered so that I can vote in primaries. But generally speaking, I'm, I'm becoming more and more independent, not because I'm less conservative, but in fact because I'm more conservative than what the Republican Party is. Uh, but what they're doing now to, again, kind of distance itself from faith, values, religion, and so forth is very, very disturbing indeed. I'm glad you are fighting the way that you are. Speaking of fighting for Christian principles, we are in the Christmas season. So we're going to take a time out here, Dr. Piper. We're going to come back and talk about whether or not we can still call it the Christmas season. Uh, That was article number two that you wrote this week for the Washington Times. And we'll talk about that next on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 10.22. We continue with Dr. Everett Piper now on AM 14.20, The Answer. Merry Christmas to you, Dr. Piper. Uh, do we have Dr. Piper up? we got to put him. There he is. We got him up now, Dr. Piper. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> okay. Merry Christmas back to you, and happy holidays. And you know why I'm saying that. I do indeed. Uh, your second column this week for the Washington Times does indeed uh, uh, do with the have to do with the uh, the attempt to secularize the season. Uh, and you know this has been going on for years and years and years. And the whole Happy Holidays versus Merry Christmas argument has gotten wider and wider. So many more stores and corporations not wanting to alienate in their mind the non-Christian segments of their shopping demographics uh, are moving away from Christmas decorations and Christmas greetings and all the way to holiday greetings, which they think is moving away from religion. And as you point out, they have no earthly idea what they're talking about. Can you explain? (laughs) Exactly. You summarized it well. They're clueless. I mean, it's really stupid. I mean, words have meaning, right? I, I would hope that we would agree that words still should have meaning. Now, I know we live in a postmodern culture where we want to dumb down the definition of everything to nothing but what our newest spin or opinion of a word is. But let's just assume for the sake of argument that dictionaries matter and that definitions matter. So what's the definition of Christmas? Well, arguably, that's a very religious word. It's Christ's mass. Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Christ, the babe born in a manger. Christ, the word made flesh and dwelling among us. Christ, the second person of the triune God. So that's a very religious statement. Mass. You're Catholic, but as a, as, a, as a Protestant, I would say Mass is a meeting, a gathering, a service, a coming together to celebrate what? Christ. So Christ's Mass is a religious term. So the secularists say, well, you can't say Merry Christmas, even though it is a time to celebrate Christmas, Christ's Mass, and then they tell us, you've got to say Happy Holidays. Well, what does the word holiday mean? It's a combination of two words, holy Day. The etymology, the origin of the word holiday is holy day. Well, can't these buffoons, <laughs> our secular thought police, recognize that holy is a religious word, too? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
Silent Night, oh, Holy Night. These are references to the holiness, the, the, uh, the, the fact that God sanctifies holiness being separated from the secular. In other words, holy is a religious word. And even day, I would argue, is a religious word, because day acknowledges time. And human beings are the only part of all of creation that recognize that time matters. My horses don't discuss what time it is. My cows don't de- debate whether or not they're on time. Human beings recognize the religious significance of past, present, and future, and that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, and that God alone dictates time. So holiday is a religious word, too. I hate to break it to our secular thought police, but they're actually embracing a word that's just as religious as Christmas when they tell you to say, Happy Holiday. And, you know, that that should make me be happy to hear either one of those things, except for the fact that I want them to know it. I want them to know what they're saying is indeed wishing me a very religious uh, holy day when they say happy holidays and uh, and that their intent to take Christ and thus Christianity and religion out of their greeting uh, has failed. And, and the fact that they don't know it makes me mad. I want them to know what they're saying. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's why I wrote the article. Is I know, Okay, if you all want to tell me what words I can and cannot use in the public square, let's talk about why Christmas is good, not bad, why it actually governs our national discussion for at least one month out of the 12 months of the year. Christmas is a reality, both in the church and in our culture, in our families, in our homes, Christmas is real. But also, let's talk about holy days, what the word holy means, what day means, what time means to human beings in our relationship with God. So it gives us an opportunity to reclaim the high ground of definition rather than allowing the thought police to just tell us what we're going to say, what we're going to do, and what we're going to think. Well, speaking of definitions, Dr. Piper, our third and final issue to talk about this morning, uh, the definition of woman. You have talked about this, that women are objectively real things, uh, and they have tried to change the definition of woman. In fact, they've tried to eliminate the definition of woman altogether and refer to breast or chest-feeding peoples uh, and birth givers and so forth. We all know that the... Um, Gender identity movement is something that is very important to the left. And uh, you wanted to talk about Kate Dansky, or excuse me, Kara, beg your pardon, Kara Dansky, a feminist, slamming the Biden administration for the executive order that does indeed conflate sex and gender identity because of the damage that it is doing to women and girls in a, in a, in a way far beyond the sports uh, competitive fields. Do you want to take that? Well, Kara Dansky was a guest on Tucker Carlson this past week. Now, Kara Dansky is a Democrat. She wrote the book Abolishing Sex. She's not a conservative, but she rightly is outraged. So thank the Lord for Kara Dansky's common sense. She recognizes that if you want to be a feminist, you can't deny the objective reality of the female. If you suggest that women aren't real, that they're nothing but make-believe, that they're fabrications, that they're fantasies, that they're nothing but leprechauns and unicorns. If you're suggesting that a female isn't a fact, you can't be a feminist. And she came on Tucker Carlson's show and said that. I give her a standing uh, ovation. I mean, thank you, Kara Dansky, for waking up and recognizing that women are being disparaged, they're being demeaned, they're being dumbed down, they're being blackfaced, literally blackfaced, by dysphoric men 
who want to dress up in exaggerated costume and makeup and pretend to be something that they're not. Women should be outraged. Whether you're left, right, center, progressive, conservative, or liberal, you should be outraged. You cannot be a feminist if you deny that the female is a fact. I warned of this back in 2000, what was it, 16, 17, whatever it was, during the bathroom bill debates in North Carolina. I said, if the NAIA and the NCAA are going to start denying that women should have their own bathrooms and their own locker rooms, then Title IX is a joke and women's athletics is dead. And that's exactly where we are right now. And Dansky was pointing that out on Tucker Carlson's show. The latest example of that, of course, the University of Pennsylvania swimmer who goes by the name of Leah Thomas, who was competing as a male swimmer against men for two years before he decided, I don't know, maybe I can't win these races. So he decides to call himself Leah and a female uh, and uh, is now smashing women's swimming records, uh, winning races this past weekend by 14 and 38 seconds, respectively. And for those who don't understand, a good race, uh, or even a race that is dominated by one over another, is is maybe a touch the wall three seconds ahead of your nearest competitor, winning by 14 and 38 seconds, respectively. This individual is going to go on to win women's national NCAA swimming championships, and probably, and this will be where the rubber meets the road, Dr. Piper, probably... Uh, want to enter the NCAA, or excuse me, the uh, the Olympic trials. Yep. I wonder how yep. the international community will be with a biological male who is physically so incredibly superior to every other female competitor uh, going into the Olympics and winning gold medals. How do you think that'll go over? Uh, well, they're already showing their cards. They're eliminating the female category by allowing males, biological males, to enter therein. You cannot have female competition any longer if men are going to avail themselves of that specific option of competing. Women's sports is dead. Title IX is a joke. Women are being maligned and disparaged. Women no longer have any rights if women aren't real. And yet the real feminists are not outraged over those facts. Kara was, uh, but others are not. Dr. Everett Piper, terrific conversation as always. I appreciate you very much, and we'll talk to you again next week. Blessings. 1031, we'll get news now. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about the indoctrination of your kids. Not the indoctrination, that's already happening. But what has to be done to indoctrinate them from CRT, SEL, and more uh, in our classrooms? We'll talk about that with Bonnie Snyder next, AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 10.38 as we continue. Before I do continue, though, I have to say sometimes I really, really, really wish I lived closer to Northfield. (laughs) Usually those times are after I hear a clip of one of the sermons of Pastor Jeff Toring. Simply inspirational, and uh, and I completely concur. Having said that, let's move on now, and I want to talk about undoctrinating your kids. That's right, undoctrinating, not indoctrinating. Uh, That's already being done. 
It's been being done over the course of the last many, many years, quite frankly, uh, last couple of decades at an egregious level, at high, the higher education level. But now the indoctrination has moved down to the high school level, the middle school level, and yes, even the primary grades as well. So it's time to undoctrinate them. That's the name of the book written by Bonnie Snyder. Uh, it's Undoctrinate, How Politicized Classrooms Harm Kids and ruin our schools, and what we can do about it. That part is of extraordinary importance to us. What can we do about it? Joining us now is the author, Bonnie Snyder, who is working with FIRE, Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. Bonnie, thank you for the time. How are you this morning? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, I... uh, uh, what I said there in the introduction, I really meant, uh, and, and it's very obvious if people are paying attention to it. We have seen a leftward lurch in our um, in our collegiate, our uh, higher education universities and colleges for a long time now. But really, it's only been within the, within the last. I don't know, 10, maybe 15 years that we've seen this type of indoctrination and this politicization of the classrooms come down to the high school and even the lower levels. What do you think what the turning point was, or was there not a turning point, but this was the gradual evolution, or maybe de-evolution, depending on your point of view, uh, of, uh, of, you know, the left-wing, the left-wing agenda? I think it's like a snowball. I think that it's been happening slowly, gradually, and then suddenly. You know, it sort of has taken off exponentially. I did have to pull my younger daughter out of a school that was 10 years ago. It was a private school. Mm. Uh, My kids mostly went to public school, but the private schools seem to be worse, uh, and this problem seems to have manifested more in affluent areas, but now it's sort of spreading everywhere, and I do think there are some a few districts that are probably pretty immune to it. They're mostly in rural areas, uh, but it's nationwide now. Let's talk about, uh, and I agree, that's an really, uh, interesting analogy, by the way, like a snowball. It started up slowly and it gained speed, and then, bam, it kind of hits you in the face, and this is where we are now. Um, yep. what, what, do you, what do you see as being the biggest drivers? Is it left-wing politicians, or is it more left-wing special interest groups uh, that are seeking more power, whether they be you know, the, you know, the Black Lives Matter Marxist movement, or whether it be the NAACP, or whether it be uh, you know, any number of left-wing non-educational associations that have pushed their way into the educational realm? Yeah, I think that uh, there are a number of drivers. Certainly the ed schools have a large uh, culpability in what's happening right now, but the BLM curriculum has found its way into schools, the 1619 Project, the Zen Education Project. I mean, these have been around for quite some time. Uh, it's clear that this, this past school year is when everyone suddenly was aware of it. I would say that the George Floyd um, aftermath really emboldened some of these people who had been there sort of lurking at the fringes and then suddenly these curricula were adopted widely. So it didn't, it, it was always there. And, uh, I'm trying to figure out who's behind, you know, we've got sort of the radicalizing of our curriculum with left wing ideology, mostly Marxist. Uh, and along the same lines, this school year, I think the theme is that they're sexualizing the school curriculum and really destroying the innocence of children with this precocious material. And uh, I, I, I haven't gotten to the bottom of exactly where that's coming from. I know that it has the same sort of neo-Marxist roots, attacking the nuclear family and so on. Uh, but in terms of organizationally, that's, that's an open question. 
Well, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, it, it is indeed an assault on the nuclear family. And that, you know, it, it may be that the gender identity theory or the LGBTQ agenda, whatever it is that you want to call it, it may have even surpassed um, the, the racial agenda, uh, the uh, critical race theory agenda of separating oppressors from the oppressed by the color of skin and so forth, because they're literally kind of teaching kids to change who they are. Uh, they're teaching kids that it is um, it is not only okay, but it is really encouraged to question whether you are what you were born as, and maybe, maybe you should try to change that. There seems to be uh, then a movement toward expressing not only gender uh, uh, shifting or gender fluidity, but then sexualization of those gender, new gender categories as well, to the tune of children, you know, who are as young as five watching uh, cross-dressers uh, read to them at, you know, during story hour at the library. Uh, there, is a, there is a real m- movement here to kind of change the way kids approach their own bodies themselves and the sexualization of those bodies. And it's really attacking. I think there's a completely different morality that is being ported into our schools that is taking direct aim at the morality that most of us are trying to teach our children at home. Uh, and this idea that children need to be liberated, that they need to be liberated from their parents, and that, you know, there's this systemic oppression, of course, that I guess this gendered, uh, you know, boys and girls, and that's not, that's too narrow for the mm-hmm. fluidity that we're supposed to. Uh, encourage that they're encouraging kids to adopt and it it even is this idea of you create yourself which flies directly in the face i i I like to say you know i'm no theologian but even i know that in the bible it teaches us that we are created we are not creators we didn't create ourselves uh and even renaming ourselves you know we're we're given names in church and it's our christian name and that's what a baptism that's part of the ceremony and they're you know kids are having secret names that they're using at school. I mean, there are gender plans where kids have an identity at home that their parents aren't being told about. So this lack of transparency and keeping secrets from parents, which I'm sorry, but the only time I hear about an adult keeping secrets from a kid, it seems to be in the realm of of grooming them, Uh, unless it's something really, you know, wholesome, like a, a surprise birthday party. Other than that, there should be no secrets between an adult and another person's child. That's just, that's weird. That's, no, that's that's a great uh, explanation. It is grooming. That is exactly what predators do to groom their kids. Make sure you don't yeah. tell anybody. Don't tell mom, dad. Don't tell your sister, brother. This is just you know, between us. It's our special secret. And by the way, not that yeah. this has anything to do with that grooming, but just uh, 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 as far as the educators trying to keep the kids away from their parents' influence, you probably saw the story in uh, Los Angeles uh, where a mom says that her son came home vaccinated without her permission, and they talked the kid into taking the shot in exchange for some pizza. And they told her, not, told the child not to tell your mom that you got the shot. Um, so, you know, this yeah. kind, of, this kind of, uh, of pulling kids away, or as you say, freeing them from the influence of their parents, God forbid they have the influence of their parents, uh, this seems to be a core part of their agenda. Yep, dividing parents from children, and, um, you know, and we're hearing both ways. We're hearing do get vaccinated, I've also heard don't get vaccinated, uh, telling them there, there was a teacher, I believe it, well, it was in, in the near West and not all the way out in California who told the kids, your parents are stupid. Don't listen to them. She did lose her job, 
but these uh, these teachers are emboldened. They come out of ed schools. I, you know, I veer between being very, very angry at this new generation of teachers and feeling sorry for them because I don't think that they were properly educated themselves. I think they're products of a broken system, and uh, it's now manifesting, and we're seeing, you know, what the what the damage is when we forget the wisdom of our ancestors. Well, you know, this is not nearly as far west as that. I mean, it's actually east of me. We're uh, going to Pennsylvania for this part of the story. Bonnie Snyder is my guest, working with Fire. She is the author of the book Indoctrinate. Just to stick on this, um, this, this vax part of the, you know, the separation of children, division of children from their parents. You probably saw this teacher, whose name is Molly Mamau, M-U-M-A-U. I'm guessing on that pronunciation, who wrote on Facebook and is now under investigation, and I think on leave from her school for this who wrote, screw this guy and screw them all who are hiding behind religious exemptions because they don't want anybody to tell them what to do. People tell you what to do all the time and you do it. This is such BS. He and his ilk deserve whatever comes their way, including losing jobs, getting sick, and dying from the virus. But in the meantime, he's going to put all the people around him in danger. I don't know why the GOP doesn't just take those guns they profess to love so much and just start shooting all of their constituents who think this way. It would be quicker and ultimately safer than putting me and my friends and my family at risk. This is a teacher, and more than that, Bonnie, she, in her bio, her Facebook bio, describes herself, or doesn't describe herself, but lists herself as on the board of directors at the NEA, the National Education Association. So if these, well, if this is the mindset of our educational leadership, what chance do our kids have? Anybody who doesn't think you should be vaccinated, I hope you die from the virus or shoot one another because it's quicker. Well, there are codes of ethics that govern the practice of teaching, and I would in, uh, encourage parents to know what they are in their state. You can go to the State Board of Education, uh, the State Department of Education website, and look at what the professional expectations are for teachers. Teachers do get fired for what they post on social media, and I mean, I work at Fire. We're a free speech organization, but your free speech rights as a citizen are different from your rights as a hired educator. What, there are morality clauses that educators are expected to adhere to. You're supposed to be role models in the community. You're supposed to be more mature than the students in your class. We have students who are filming their teachers, catching them engaged in the most immature, embarrassing types of classroom behaviors that I, I can't imagine. My teachers all behaved professionally when I was growing up. I can't imagine having to hold my teacher accountable for behaving in a mature way. And our kids are now being called upon to hold their teachers accountable, which is shameful. It is indeed. Bonnie Snyder is my guest. She is an author. She uh, works with FIRE, which, again, is Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE. Um, her book is Undoctrinate, How Politicized Classrooms Harm Kids and Ruin Our Schools and What We Can Do About It. I'm going to go back to the to the uh, nuclear family issue that we talked about moments ago. You were a teacher, counselor, administrator, and professor in both public and private schools, I see from your bio. So you know probably as well as anybody um, how much more successful children are when they come from households with one father and one mother, uh, a two-parent household. We certainly all know the statistics of dropouts and graduation rates of people coming from single-parent households, usually single-mother households, but, but also having a father and a mother as opposed to, again, in the LGBTQ uh, narrative, any group of family members is just fine. Two moms, two dads, two of, two of one and one of the other. Um, can you speak to that through your history and your career as an educator of how important it is for a child to have a father and a mother to teach them things that, quite frankly, they can't get from the other side? Well, 
Well, I think that it just goes to the issue of our entire you know, culture and the, the, you know, the structures that undergird the upbringing of young people, you know, from beginning to end. And the dissolution of the family is just one manifestation of the way that our culture is not standing up for itself, is, is uh, dispirited, disillusioned. And, you know, I was talking to a teacher in New Jersey who was asking students on sort of a larger scale beyond the family, thinking of us as an American family, how many of you would fight for this country and no one in the class said that they would be willing to do so because that they said they're just so disillusioned. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the messaging that kids are getting is that everything's meaningless. It's just nihilistic. There's a, a well-known case that uh, a parent in Nevada is suing Democracy Prep High School over what her biracial son was asked to do. He was asked to confess his white privilege. And she said that, um, he was exhibiting what she called nihilism, just this sense that nothing means anything, this dark bleakness. And, uh, yeah, I mean, these it, it, indoctrination happens in many forms. I mean, there's a, there's a teacher who got fired recently uh, for telling students that the election was stolen and that uh, Donald Trump is still the president and that he shouldn't get vaccinated. So it's sort of the opposite scenario. Every bit is wrong. Uh, and the son came home and he was accusing his parents of uh, lying to him. And he said, I don't believe you. My teacher's right. And so there's this undermining of the family that's happening in, happening in so many different ways. Um, yeah. And, and then you have teachers, too, who seem to be wanting to be these parental replacements, sort of like the creepy youth leader, uh, you know, persona that also is not what teaching is about. You know, it's a professional responsibility and you're supposed to be transparent with the parents and you're supposed to form a partnership. You're not supposed to try to undermine the parents and what they're trying to teach at home. You know, I think we all got kind of a shot in the arm, pardon that phrase in this culture right now, but uh, mm-hmm. a, a proverbial shot in the arm by what happened in Virginia as the parents uh, in Loudoun County, Virginia, spoke loudly and clearly. And we all know what happened there with the, you know, the school board association uh, petitioning the Department of Justice to crack down on parents as domestic terrorists. Uh, they spoke out. And I think it was that movement that led to an election of a red governor in a very blue state. And I don't want to make this all political, but the fact is parents asserted their rights to to playing a significant role in their child's education rather than just turning them over to... You know, teachers unions, sorry, NEA and AFT, uh, that are, that are very left leaning and are indeed devoted to the indoctrination that you are trying to push back against with your book. The amount of contempt that we are seeing from schools towards parents is undermining, you know, the pillars of what upholds our society, uh, deliberately. So it's very reminiscent, I think, of, you know, the Maoist with the, the three olds and that, you know, empowering the children to denounce their own parents. I mean, it's, it's terrible, but thank goodness we have enough transparency or, uh, you know, having the homeschooling that happened over the past year, the, the virtual schooling yes. really has revealed a lot of what's going on. So things happen for a reason, and I think that a lot has been exposed, and it's all to the good. I think that, uh, you know, I'm very optimistic given the number of parents who are now 
aware, on their feet, running for school boards, showing up at school boards. It's all very, very positive, and it's overdue, but it's not too late. Well, you're so right about what happened. If one positive thing came out of the COVID year of 2020, it's that parents got to look over the shoulders of their kids and see and listen to what their children or their teachers were teaching their children and how they were treating them. That was an extraordinarily eye-opening thing for many, which is why I and a lot of other people are calling for cameras in every classroom. If we can make our police officers wear them to see how they treat the public, we should make our teachers not wear them uh, in terms of body cams, but have cameras mounted to the ceiling fixated solely on the front of the room where the teachers are and so that we can make sure that uh, uh, we know what is going on in our classrooms that would uh, i think have a huge impact on letting parents have a say in their kids education as, as a teacher i would want one in the classroom for my own protection so that Absolutely. i could defend myself if i was ever accused of anything and there are cameras in every classroom though because kids have cell phones so, uh, you know, that's an argument whether or not we should have them. Well, they're already but there. But, yeah, but the problem is, is is whether or not the kid would turn it over or acknowledge that he got something that would be beneficial to the teacher or, or whatnot. I, I don't want it to be in True. the hands of somebody who can edit or delete. I want it to all be on the record so that, uh, you know, it, when, when things are being done that are wholly inappropriate, we can, you know, we can have a record of it. I think that's a big part of it. But at any rate, uh, these are, really. These are vulnerable children. Yeah, these are minors. Let's see what's going on. Amen to that. Bonnie Snyder's book is Undoctrinate, um, uh, How Politicized Classrooms Harm Kids and Ruin Our Schools, What We Can Do About It. Bonnie, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. My pleasure. All right, 1055. We'll come back and wrap it right after this. All right, just enough time to close it out on this Thursday. Thank you so much to my guests uh, who appeared with us today, Kenny Shu, in our number one. Uh, extraordinarily important information on the Salvation Army's wokeism, and it's costing them thousands of dollars in donations, as it should. Uh, thanks to Dr. Everett Piper, and thanks, of course, to Bonnie Snyder, who just joined us talking about undoctrinating. Tomorrow on the program, Rob Walgate will uh, join us from the Ohio Roundtable. He's going to talk to us about why he and they oppose this new law that was just passed, um, or bill, rather, that was just passed. It's going to Mike DeWine to allow gambling in the state of Ohio on sports, including on amateur sports. He will join us, as will Christina Hagen, as she does each and every Friday. So I look forward to being with you tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, stay free, and let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.